Well, again, it's good to see you here today. Welcome to Freedom Church. Uh, if we've got kids who are still in the room who haven't already transitioned out, we uh, will go ahead and invite them to move around to Sweet C for their teaching time. Uh, late Happy New Year to you. Hope that uh, everybody is uh, enjoying a good start to the new year. Is it cool enough for you? <laughs> it feels like we're no longer in the sunny uh, south right now. I used to, uh, the guys were kidding me this morning as we came in and we're having our prayer time early on. And anytime I, I think anytime I tuck in my shirt, people wonder if, if it's dress up day or something. But uh, they were kidding me because I had on a sport coat this morning and I was telling Tate, I said, Years ago, when I used to serve on staff in a traditional Baptist church where we had to wear a coat and tie in the heat of July, you know, year-round, I had a friend who hated that, and he would always say, I have a theory about coats. We ought to wear them when it's cold to keep warm, and I'm with him on that, so it's cold enough. When it's cold enough, I wear a coat to church. You know it's frigid outside. But we're, uh, today we're diving into a brand new sermon series I'm so excited about. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I don't think there's anything that I'll preach all year long that's more significant than what we're going to tackle over the next ten weeks. And so I'm glad you're here today. I'm going to ask you to really prioritize these opening couple of months of the year to do your best to be here each week and to be a part of small group because I believe what we're talking about is so important and it has so much potential to allow for real life change in us. And so uh, I'll ask you a question as we get started, and it's just simply this. Are you where you want to be spiritually right now? Have you landed where you feel like you need to be at, at this point in your life? I suspect for most of us the answer is no. Uh, so kind of the, the natural follow-on to that is, do you want to be at the end of 2017 where you are right now? I don't. I absolutely don't. I think we would all say together, I want to make progress this year. I mean, I want to make real noticeable progress. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm a perfectionist. And sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes that's a real bad thing. Uh, because I, my perfectionism causes me to have a little patience with myself. When I screw up and when I don't do what I should do, I really beat myself up over that. Some of you are probably like that because of just that perfectionistic nature in us. And I'll tell you, in the last decade, one of the passages that probably doesn't leap off the page at you that has become one of my favorites in the New Testament is 1 Timothy 4.15, which you'll see in your outline, where Paul is writing to Timothy and he's encouraging him about the things that he needs to give his attention to in both his ministry and in his personal life. And along the way, as he's giving specific instructions about give your attention to this and this and this, and in the middle of that, he makes this statement, continue to do these things, give your life to doing them, so your progress may be seen by everyone. Now that may seem like a filler verse, but that's become an important verse to me because of that one word, progress. Not so that everybody can see that you've got it all together, Timothy, that you always are in the Word, that you're always in prayer, that you're always doing it exactly like you're supposed to, that you're always a perfect witness. He's saying, no, Timothy, I realize you're not always going to get it right, but just devote yourself in such a way that you're continuing to make progress. Somebody said something earlier in the service about, you know, uh, Carl said something about, have you already blown your New Year's resolution? Well, you know, a lot of us tend to do that. Resolutions tend to work that way. We, we see ourselves aspiring to much and then following through on little. Well, the goal this year is that we would really make lasting progress. But I've made this observation, and you probably have too, that when it comes to the really big, hard issues in life, I can make progress for a little while. But on the really hard issues, I'll almost always fall back to where I started. And that's really what Carl was alluding to when he said, hey, who needs a mulligan already? Who, who has attempted to do something to make real progress and then pff, you've already fallen flat? Well, we've all done that a bunch of times, haven't we? In fact, think for just a moment about what are the things that you really have struggled with the most, the longest? Think about the areas where you really struggle to make any lasting progress. And it could be anything from A to Z. It may be a positive thing in terms of building in some habits that really need to be there. And you've promised yourself again and again, I'll do that. I'll exercise. I'll eat right. Or I'll be in the Word. Or, you know, these are the things I've got to start doing. And, and you try, and then it, it flops. Or maybe it's the things you want to get rid of. I want to stop smoking. I want to stop overeating. I want to stop, you know, cursing or losing my temper. Whatever the thing is. 
And for a while, on our biggest issues, through willpower, we can white-knuckle it and do better, can't we? You know what I'm talking about? Where you're just like, I'm going to do better. I'm not going to do that anymore. And some of you have been white-knuckling some issues for a while. That's just so exhausting, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. I, I hate that. And the thing that's worse than the exhaustion is just that knowledge that's gnawing at you deep down inside that you know you're going to fail in the end. I know I'm going to go back and drink. I know I'm going to go back. I'm, I know I'm going to start back cursing. Or I'm going to, whatever your thing is that you're really trying to, to change. And you're trying so hard this year because this time you're really going to make it last. And something deep down inside is going, no, you're not. And part of you knows that that's right. Because not only you failed so many times when you've tried so hard before, but because something inside you is telling you that you can't beat this in the flesh. Can I just go ahead and tell you that's the truth? You can't conquer your biggest struggles in the power of your flesh, and neither can I. And in fact, as long as you think that you can, I have no help to offer this morning. Absolutely none. And that really is the bad news because some of us haven't been convinced of that yet. Some of us believe that we can fix the biggest problems that we've got if we'll just try harder. And as long as you think that, you're a will worshiper. You worship your own willpower. You believe you can do it. If you think that, knock yourself out and come see me when you're exhausted. Because we're all going to come to the same conclusion. We can't fix the biggest things that are broken in us. So how do you make real progress? The answer is not complicated. Only the power of God can enable you to make progress in the areas that are your biggest struggle. And that's kind of good news and bad news, isn't it? I mean, the good news is God's power is able. The bad news is mine is not. And part of the bad news is most of us tend to not know how to tap into the power of God to bring about lasting change in us. I promise you, we're going to do a good job of resolving that issue. Of, so how do I unleash God's power in my life? How do I access that? That's what we're all about over the next ten weeks. So here's a good question for you. If the biggest problems that we face can only be fixed by God, do we need to just kick back and let him do it? That would be nice to know, wouldn't it? I'd sign on for that. God, we both know I'm not capable of solving my biggest problems, breaking my worst habits, starting the things that I ought to be doing that I can't ever make myself continue to do. Since I can't do that and only you can, I'm going to quit trying and just let you. I like that plan. I'll sign on for that. The problem is it doesn't seem to work either. Is that working for you? You just make no effort at all? Anybody gotten skinny through, you know, no effort at all? Then you become a spiritual giant by sleeping in every day? I mean, that plan doesn't work. So how do we get there? If it's up to God and His power, and yet I have a role to play, what is my role? What is it that I need to do? For the next ten weeks, we're going to unpack that as we look at ten different spiritual disciplines that enable us to be positioned to really tap into the power of God and the grace of God to bring about lasting change. Now, I realize, even as I say that, that some of us are going, oh, no, ten more things to do. No, don't think about it that way. I assure you, if you'll track with us for the next ten weeks, you're not going to go, oh, my goodness, here's ten more huge things I've got to add to my life. It's not going to be that at all. In fact, I'll go ahead and give you a tip-off when. When we get done with walking through the ten spiritual disciplines, there are going to be some of these that you'll walk away going, I would have never in my life thought of even calling that a spiritual discipline. You know, we're going to start with the ones that are going to sound familiar and that you're not going to be surprised by. We're going to start with the inner disciplines as we talk about things like meditation, prayer, fasting, Bible study. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, those spiritual disciplines. Yeah, that's that that may sound heavy in and of itself. I promise you, if you'll track with us, this isn't going to be heavy. This isn't going to be burdensome. But you'll see by the time that we're done, the tenth discipline, you know what the tenth discipline is going to be? Celebration. That as believers, we ought to be the best at celebrating. And right now you may be thinking, that doesn't sound like a discipline at all. Stay with me till we get to the end. You'll find that this is liberating stuff, but it's also empowering. Because, and if you're tracking in your outline, this is the beginning point. What you'll see is the Christian spiritual disciplines position us before God in order, in order to receive His grace and in order to be changed by Him. But I'm going to go ahead and warn you on the front end. Our entire culture 
is built in such a way that it's going to constantly be working against you ever practicing the disciplines with any regularity. As you'll see, it's like everything about life is designed to make sure that you don't do the things we're going to talk about today and in the weeks to come. To make sure you don't do that. Because the people who do the things that we're going to talk about, I'll guarantee you, 100% of the time, they begin to walk in the power of God. They begin to experience the grace of God and the power of God flowing into them in ways that are transformational for them and really impactful for the lives of the people around them 100% of the time. But the culture works in such a way as to try and ensure that you never get there. Richard Foster, who is just that wonderful Quaker author of our time, said this, Our adversary, speaking of the devil, majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. And if he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. You know what he's talking about there? That we just live in a world that's always busy, it's always noisy, it's always crowded. And so long as the enemy can keep us distracted and tangled up in other people and activities, he will be totally content because you will not walk in the power of God. You will not live in intimacy with God if that describes your life. And listen, I love technology as much as the next person. I'm grateful to have access to the Internet and to be able to communicate the way that we do. But one of the things that I've realized is that our phones and and iPads and computers give us an ability to live in crowds even when we're alone. Have you ever noticed that? I, I mean, I feel like there are people who are in crowds 24 hours a day. When they're in bed, they're with a crowd. They're in that crowd that is 847 Facebook friends. Just constantly having to scroll and check out. And it's like, well, that's not evil, is it? No. In in and of itself, it's not evil other than if you live your whole life in a crowd and with noise. And noise can be noise that can be heard with your ears or noise that's taken in with your eyes. It's all these voices that we're constantly reading and hearing that are keeping us from ever really engaging in the things that we're talking about right now. Our enemy loves to keep us busy crowded, distracted, in the middle of noise. Carl Jung, the psychiatrist, said this, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. Keeping us busy, distracted, hurried all the time. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, the things you're going to hear today and next week and beyond, but especially the next couple of days, there's going to be a big fraction of of us here today and who are watching and listening online who are going to just instinctively say sounds good but I don't have time for this I just don't I'm too busy I've got too much going on I've just got too many practical things that I've got to give my attention to to give my attention to this maybe one day I'll be able to do that and and I'm just I'm not going to kid around with you on this I'm not going to soft pedal this the bottom line comes down to this do you want to change Do you want to make progress? This is not preacher rhetoric. This is the real deal. Because if you really want to make progress, there is no plan B. You can white knuckle for a while. You can be up and down, succeed for a little while, crash and burn. Succeed for a little while, crash and burn. You can repeat that till Jesus comes back. Or you can decide, I have got to make some fundamental changes and prioritize what really matters. Because I promise you, what we're about to talk about today and in the weeks to come, this is the only pathway to real progress in your life and mine. And if you'll practice these things, I'll guarantee you, you will tap into a level of power that exceeds anything you've ever known before to bring about lasting change. So today, as we dive in... We're going to talk about the first of the disciplines, and that is meditation. And I kind of chuckle at even saying the word. I'm just going to be real honest with you as we go through these. I have spent almost my entire life hating the very word. Hating the concept of meditation. That's not a good thing for your preacher to say, is it? You probably need a more spiritual preacher than me because I'm just telling you. Anytime somebody would talk about meditation, I'm like, yawn. Somebody give me the no-dos. I need a Mountain Dew. Just the thought of meditation is bringing me down. I, I would try it at different times. You've never known anybody who has failed more miserably at meditation than I have in most of my life. I, 
I just was kind of freaked out by the whole idea. I knew I was terrible at it. What I didn't realize was I never had any clue how to do it. I mean, I, part of the problem was what little bit of exposure we ever have to meditation oftentimes is nothing to do with Christian meditation. You know, we, we get exposed to this crazy uh, Eastern forms of, of meditation which have nothing to do with Christian meditation. They don't even slightly resemble Christian meditation. So, you know, we're like not sure if we're supposed to be crossing our legs in some fashion that men shouldn't be able to cross their legs and, you know, going, um, or saying, you know, what, who knows what, what we're supposed to be doing is how I felt about it. And every time I would attempt to do it, I, I'd find myself, you know, either going to sleep or wishing I could blow my brains out, but it wasn't drawing me closer to God. Anybody had any experience like that in meditation? It's okay. Confession's good for the soul. Thank you for being honest. Well, I've got good news for you. Christian meditation doesn't have anything to do with all the experiences I had for years. My frustration was that I didn't know how to do it. As you'll see today, Christian meditation is actually liberating. It's enjoyable and it's not hard at all. And it actually is one of the most fundamental things that you'll learn to do that's going to allow you to tap into a new level of intimacy with God and a flow of power into your life this transformational. So what in the world is this thing that we're talking about? Well, we find it throughout the scriptures. In fact, it's there 58 times, so we know it's really important. From the patriarch's own, we find that meditation is a, a key issue. We, we start out in Genesis 24 where it says, Isaac went out into the field one evening to meditate. We see David in Psalm 63, 6, the passage that Patrick read earlier. I lay awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. David, in, in the very opening two verses of the Psalms, says, Oh, the joys, don't miss that word, oh, the joys of those who delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. I'll tell you, I used to read stuff like that and think, Am I, am I just totally missing out? Am, am I not even a Christian or something? The joys of those who meditate, it felt more like torture than joy to me. And David's saying, oh, it's just a joy to me. Well, it actually is a joy I've discovered when you actually meditate instead of doing the garbage I was doing. So what in the world is this? Now, today is going to be very user-friendly. This is about getting your, your hands and heart and head around this. So first, I just want to define what the Scriptures are saying, and then I'm going to very briefly just share six truths that will help you to hopefully really grasp what we're talking about, and then the thing we're going to focus in on is just four ways to actually do it. But first of all, I'll just tell you, when you read in the Scripture about meditation, there are four different ways that that term gets applied most of the time in the Scriptures. You don't have to write this down, but it'll talk about meditation in terms of listening to God's words. This is the most key component, that it's actually hearing from God, listening to His words, reflecting on His works, rehearsing His deeds, or ruminating on His teachings or His commands. But the common thread that ties all of these things together, that again is very different from Eastern meditation, is that the, the heartbeat of all of this is that they're all about leading to an intimate encounter with the living God, an intimate encounter that will consistently lead to change in us, which doesn't have anything to do with Eastern meditation. Whether we're focusing on the works of God Focusing on what God has said, focusing on his word. The point in this is always to lead to an intimate encounter with God that's always going to change us as a result. So we're not pursuing detachment from the world and inner emptiness and nirvana. We're not pursuing any of those things. We're pursuing connection with the living God. I love how in the Old Testament... God gives us all of these things that become like color snapshots of bigger realities that we get to experience as the New Testament church who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever noticed how that is? It's sort of like God will use the Old Testament as sort of the ABC, you know, first grader textbook so that we build up to the New Testament realities that we live in. You know, this, a lot of times when we're reading the Old Testament stories, they're rich and they're good, but they're helping us to understand real fundamental things. So it's sort of like see, spot, run. We want you to understand how this works so that you can do it full speed now. Because, you know, in the Old Testament, the average person who belonged to God didn't have the Spirit of God in them, Right? That was a New Testament thing, that the Spirit of God comes on all believers, this reality that we live with. So God gets to speak to all of us anytime He wants to, and that's part of what's wonderful that, that we're learning to do, is to hear from God all the time. But this was such a foreign reality in the Old Testament. It's like, 
we don't have the Holy Spirit. So hopefully I, I have a prophet or a priest who hears from God. And then, you know, they'll instruct me as to what God's saying. It's the secondhand deal. We, we live with a different reality. But we get these snapshots of what it's like for the man of God or the woman of God to hear from God to give us some clue about it. So we read in Samuel about this guy named Samuel who led an extraordinary life. And the thing that set him apart was he heard from God and he did what God said. By the way, that will always set you apart. If you just do those two things, if you will hear the voice of God, learn to discern the voice of God, and do what he says, you'll be an extraordinary man or woman. You will stand out always. Samuel did. From the time he was conceived, God had his hand on Samuel in a really special way. And as a child, it was clear that God had set him apart for something unique. And he was one of the most influential characters in all of the Old Testament. So as a child, he's handed over to Eli the priest to raise Samuel and to allow him to be in God's service throughout his life. And so God gives us this opportunity to see him as he's growing up. And I mean, the thing that's going to set Samuel apart is he just hears from God. And then he does everything based on that. And I mean, by the time he's an adult, Samuel is so revered because of how he hears from God. He comes to town and people get scared. I mean, you remember when Samuel came to set David apart as the second king of Israel? In Bethlehem, the people are scared. They're like, oh my goodness, the man of God is here. He sees and understands everything because he hears from God. He's that kind of guy. But as a child, he's just beginning to explore Knowing God and hearing from God. So it's a little bit like us as we're just beginning to learn to hear from God. And so we have this wonderful story in 1 Samuel 3 where Samuel goes to bed at night. And for the first time in his life, the voice of God calls out to him. Now, don't get tangled up on this because I think so many times we think that when we hear from God, it's supposed to be like Samuel did. Remember, Samuel didn't have the Holy Spirit living in him. So God spoke to him in a different way. In an audible voice, the Lord says, Samuel... Samuel And Samuel hopped up and went running in to Eli and said, yes, sir, what do you need? Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Samuel's like, that was weird. And he goes back to bed. And a moment later, Samuel, Samuel. Now, God is probably not going to speak to you often that way. There's a good chance he'll never speak to you in your life in an audible voice. He'll speak to you in ways that are very personal and real. But it usually won't be like that. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got... The word, you've got the church, so he's going to speak in a lot of ways. It may not be in an audible voice. A third time, though, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel's probably by this time thinking, Eli is messing with me. He runs back in there. Yes, sir, what do you need? And Eli, finally, at that point, it dawns on him. He is hearing something. It must be God speaking to him. And he says, this is what's going on. So we go back to bed, and the next time you hear that voice, you just answer and say, yes, Lord, your servant's listening. So that's what he does, and then God speaks a clear word to Samuel. But what uh, we read in 1 Samuel 3, 7 is just a little commentary that says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never heard a message from the Lord before. I think a lot of us would say that verse describes our lives. I think a lot of us, if we're honest, would say, I'm not sure if I've ever gotten a message from the Lord, a really direct message. And the good news is this. God wants to speak to you on a regular basis. He wants to speak to you on a daily basis in ways that you'll understand. God worked profoundly through the patriarchs. He worked in Isaac's life. He worked in David's life. He spoke profoundly in Elijah and Elisha's lives, in Samuel's life, in the lives of the apostles. He spoke clearly to them. They walked in the power and anointing of God in large part because they heard the voice of God and responded to that. And I just want to be clear, he didn't speak to them because they had some special talent or ability. He spoke to them because they were willing to listen and obey, and he'll speak to you the same way. He will, if we learn to listen. And that's what we're all about today, is learning to hear the voice of the Lord. So I'm going to give you six things, just very simple, straightforward things to help us understand the concept of meditation and then how to practice it. The first one is this, just understanding what we've said. Christian meditation is simply learning to hear and obey God's voice. Jesus said in John 8:47, whoever belongs to God hears what God says. Who all does that include? This is the audience participation time. Whoever, whoever belongs to God. If you're in the family of faith, God's talking to you. That's good news, isn't it? There were times I used to feel like there's something wrong. My headset's broken or something. I mean, I just am not hearing from God the way other people are. If you belong to God, God's talking to you. 
and you can hear and understand him. Now, the scary thing is, uh, God said through Amos the prophet in Amos 8.11, he warns of a time when, quote, a famine will come throughout the land, not a famine of food or of thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. You know, I fear sometimes that we may live in such a time now where... In one sense, there is a famine for hearing the word of the Lord. Not a famine of God not speaking, but of Christians having no idea how to recognize and discern what God's actually saying. Sort of feels like that now, doesn't it? Do you realize how many people have no idea what God's ever saying to them? God is speaking, and He wants us to know His voice so that we can follow it. Now, when we talk about being a Christian... The term that we use most frequently is being a follower of Christ. I'll say that all the time. Because Christian becomes, it's a great term, but it it becomes misused so many times. A lot of times we'll say we're Christian just to designate that we're not Hindu or Muslim or something. Oh yeah, I'm I'm a Christian. And I'll say in place of that, I'm a follower of Christ. But you know the thing that can ring kind of hollow about that many times is when you really get down to it and say, okay, what does it mean that you are a follower of Christ? I'm afraid, based on talking with a lot of people over the years that to say we're Christ followers just basically means I go to church and I read the Bible some. What do you do as a follower of Christ? Well, a real follower of Christ at the most basic level hears what Christ is saying on a day-to-day basis and then responds to that, just gets on board and follows that. And it's what Jesus is mapping out in John chapter 10 when he's talking about himself as God's shepherd that the Father has sent And that we are his sheep. And he says in John 10 about how the father puts him in the pen with the sheep and how we respond to his voice and follow his voice. He says the one who guards the door, that is God the father, opens it for him, meaning Jesus the shepherd. And the sheep listen to the voice of the shepherd. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. And that's the real hang up, isn't it? It's easy to say you're a follower of Christ, but the thing that defines whether or not you really follow Christ is, can you discern the voice of the shepherd? The shepherd's always speaking to the sheep. The sheep can know his voice. So, this is all about getting to know the voice of the shepherd. Meditation gives us the means and opportunity to recognize and hear the shepherd's voice. Secondly, The purpose of meditation is to just grow into a familiar friendship with Jesus. That's what Thomas Akempis called it. Just a familiar friendship with Jesus. The book of Revelation, which a lot of people are afraid of, and we need not be if we're followers of Christ, but probably the best known and most quoted and maybe misused verse in all of Revelation is Revelation 3.20. Everybody's heard that one before. You you see people in the end zones of football games holding up Revelation 3.20. They'll hold up John 3.16 or Revelation 3.20. And it simply says this, Jesus speaking, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear my voice, key phrase there, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with you and you will eat with me now where do we normally apply or misapply this verse in most situations maybe your experiences are the same as mine but most of the time where i've heard that verse used is in uh evangelistic situations right where we're talking to somebody who doesn't know the lord and we're trying to help them understand jesus wants to come into your life and be your lord and so we'll quote revelation 320 here i am i stand at the door and knock see jesus is at the at your heart's door knocking wanting to come in and save you and the the truth is right jesus does want to come into the life of an unbeliever and save them but it's not what that verse is about and the reason i say that is because if you go back and read Revelation 3 and 4, those are the seven letters to the seven churches. He's writing to Christians when he says this. Jesus is talking to Christians. And so this is a word for the church, for followers of Jesus, to us. He says, I'm standing at the door, knocking, saying, I would love to come in and just do what you do at the meal table. What happens at the meal table, by the way? When you leave here today... You go home to lunch or you go out to lunch. Besides the fact that we love to just eat, what's so enjoyable about the table? It's the conversation. It's the intimacy that happens at the table. It's why Jesus used this analogy. He said, I would love on a daily basis to just be at the table with you. Because at the table we let down our guard. Don't you love it in small group, just the table time? 
that first 45 minutes or so, it just gets loud and rowdy in small group, doesn't it? There's so much just free conversation and laughter. and I mean, we just get downright goofy at times at the table because we can just totally be ourselves over the table. And that's what Jesus is saying. I want that with you. Doesn't that sound so much better than go to church and read your Bible and that's the, the core of your faith? I mean, you realize so many people are turned off to Christianity because they think it's a list of rules. They think it's a bunch of rituals that you're supposed to do. They think this is the sum total, the high point of the Christian experience. If this is it, we ain't got much. Amen? I know that's bad grammar, but it's the truth. Jesus said, I want so much more. I want you to enjoy me. I want you to hear from me and me hear from you. I want that kind of intimacy. But the key phrase... If you hear my voice and open the door, we've got to learn to know the voice of the Lord to have that kind of intimacy. Third truth, and I've already alluded to this, Eastern meditation, just so we're clear on this, Eastern meditation seeks to empty the mind and it seeks detachment from the world. Christian meditation is totally different. It seeks to fill the mind and to form attachments with God. I'll tell you, Eastern meditation is hard. It is. It's, it's a skill to be learned. And I used to make the mistake of, of kind of confusing parts of the two, that any time I would try and meditate, I'm like, okay, I've got to empty my mind. Let me just say it. Emptying my mind is close to impossible. I have big-time spiritual ADD. It's like my thoughts are, ding, 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 you know, just, no, oh, got to empty my mind so I can hear the voice of the Lord. I will tell you, in the brief moments I can empty my mind, it's crickets. I'm like, God, you better hurry up. I'm trying to hold all those thoughts at bay. There went another one. It's just misery trying to do that. That's not Christian meditation. That's a little closer to Eastern meditation. Empty the mind, detachment from the world, moving toward nirvana. Nothing to do with Christian meditation. Christian meditation is very intentionally filling our minds. In a moment, we'll cover what we're filling our minds with. And it's not primarily about, oh, how can I detach from everything in the world? It is about how can I move into deeper intimacy and attachment with God? You see the vast difference between those two. Nothing at all like. Number four, meditation is not impractical or otherworldly. This is just really good news. Meditation helps us deal with life, with business, with relationships successfully. Maybe some of the best news I could tell you is meditation is intensely practical, and here's the shocker, and it's relaxing. (laughs) Who knew? It used to be like the least relaxing thing I could think of, because I'm having to try so hard to stay focused on nothing. (laughs) I'm trying so hard to focus on nothingness before God, and that's not what Christian meditation is. Christian meditation is actually... Very relaxing. It's a little bit like lounging alongside a good friend who's got a lot of truth and insight to share with you. Very relaxing. Number five. A big aid in meditation is to engage your imagination rather than trying to empty your mind. Jesus in John 5 as well as in John 14, he gives us some real interesting insights into how he just lived his life. And in verse 19 of John 5, he said this, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees his father doing. One of the most intriguing verses in all of the Gospels. He says, you want to know how I live my life? I just do what I see my father doing. What did he see? I mean, did God send him a little video every day of what was going to happen that day or what? What did he see? I'll tell you what he's talking about there. He's talking about how God speaks to his people. He oftentimes will give us images. We we tend to get a little nervous. I I grew up Baptist. We would just totally freak out and run for the woods if you talked about visions. That was not us. We were not vision people. So I won't use the word vision. We'll just say we see images. But sometimes those images are put in motion. Of what it is that God wants to do. And this need not be scary. This need not be intimidating. I'm telling you, if you'll practice what we're talking about today, you will discover at times when you get still and open in God's presence and you allow your imagination to be engaged, God will just put things in your mind as you think about this in his presence that are his way of speaking to you a word about what he wants to do. 
Sometimes, for instance, in prayer you may be holding up before him a couple that you love and who you know are just so troubled that their marriage is coming unglued and you've been burdened for them and and you've prayed and don't feel like you see any results and your heart's just going, oh God, help me to know how to pray and what you want to do here. And then you see this picture, a very clear picture of them at a different place where they're intimate and they're, I mean, mean in a healthy way, they're just in an intimate, good relationship with each other and things are right and suddenly faith is birthed in your heart because God just showed you what he wants to do. And a lot of times in that, he'll even give you something that's a picture that gives you some insight about how he's going to get them there. And now suddenly you're freed up to know how to pray in, in great faith for them. But I'm telling you, it takes you being willing for your imagination to be engaged. Because here's the interesting and sort of fun part in this. Sometimes the images that God brings up for you aren't just people. There'll be images that initially you're going, what in the world was that? Did did I just dream that up? And sometimes you did. Sometimes as you were thinking about somebody, then an image comes to mind and it's just, who knows? You had too much pizza last night or something. But sometimes they're from God. And sometimes it'll seem foreign and you may have to go, God help me understand what that's about. I'll give you a personal example. Uh, I've shared with you before, there are some other pastors that I get with on a regular basis. Uh, Every two months, six times a year, We get together and we spend five hours together at one time. And we do about three different things when we're together. But we spend some time in the Word. We spend a good bit of time in prayer. And we spend some time listening for God and asking God to speak a word over each person in the group. And we'll share what we hear. It's really rich. God really speaks some neat stuff in that. The last time that we were together and we had that time, uh, when we were in the time of listening for God to speak over us, one of the guys in that group, it's... uh, a dear friend and mentor for me, Scott Davis. He's the uh, the priest at uh, Grace Anglican Church in Fairhope. And God speaks really clearly to Scott. And he, he just shares what God gives him. And God spoke three things to him. And they were all three images for me. And I'll just share one of them. He knew that there's a family member of mine, somebody very close to me, that I've been deeply burdened for. And as he's listening for what God would say to me, one of the images that God gave him was of a camellia bush in bloom. And in response to that, he said, God, what's a camellia bush got to do with Mark? And he felt a very strong impression, this isn't about Mark, this is about the loved one that he's burdened for. And he was like, okay, so what's that got to do with that person? And the Lord gave him a real strong impression, you know, what what is it unique, this unique about a camellia bush? Well... It blooms when nothing else blooms. It blooms in the dead of winter when everything else is dormant. And when everything else is blooming, there's not a bloom to be found on there. And God just gave him a word in that. The person he's burdened for so much, wanting that that family member to come back to him and to get right and to have change take place, it's going to happen. Her life is going to bloom, but it's not going to be as quickly as the people around her. It's not going to happen as quick as you imagine. It's going, to, it's going to happen in a later season in life than what you may have thought or hoped for. But it is definitely going to happen. Now that may seem weird or foreign for you, but I want to tell you in that moment, that connected with my heart. I knew that was the voice of the Lord. But that doesn't happen unless you're willing to open your mind and even let your imagination be engaged. If you're sitting there the whole time going, no, I can't think about that. I can't think about camellia bushes. Got to hear from God right now. You've got to be willing to let your imagination be engaged and even be open to... Sometimes God's going to bring stuff to your mind that you're going, that was kind of weird. God, was that from you? And if so, would you give me a clue what that means? Let your imagination be engaged. And then finally, um, the sixth thing is this. We need set times and places to meditate so that we learn to listen for God's voice at any time and in any place. The church fathers often spoke of what, what was referred to then in Latin as otium sanctum, holy leisure. And what they meant by that were really four things. It's a way of living that enables us first to have a sense of balance in life, an ability to be at peace through the activities of the day, an ability to rest and make time to enjoy beauty, and an ability to pace ourselves. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I'm going to read those four again. Think about if you could say these four things characterized your life on a daily basis. 
an ability to have a sense of balance in life, to have peace through the activities of the day, to rest and take time to enjoy beauty, an ability to just pace yourself in life. That sounds really good, doesn't it? That's not about a block of time. That's about a lifestyle. Understand meditation is about getting to a place that this is your lifestyle, that there is this kind of margin to live this way. But in order to get there, you've got to have some set blocks of time that are just for meditation so that you have a heart that all the time is at peace in the presence of God and open to the voice of God speaking. Meditation and prayer are very similar, and as you'll see next week, the two overlap a great deal. If you're going to learn to pray continually, you've got to have some times where all your, what, where you block off a little bit of time where all of the, that you're doing is praying. Meditation works the same way. You've got to have some time just to focus in for meditation. So it's not just a moment in the day. It's about a cultivating a lifestyle, but we've got to have the moments. And so when do you do it? Well, it doesn't matter. It's up to you. But you need to do it at a time that's consistent, not just trying to hop all around your schedule. Now, if all things were equal, in the morning's usually a great time. But your schedule may not allow for that. For me, what usually works the best is after I've been to the gym and had a shower, and then I'm starting the next part of my day. That's, that's the time for me that works. But you've got to find the time for you that works. Where do you do it? Well, again, that's up to you. But you need to do it in a place that's quiet. Where you can be uninterrupted and ideally, if you can make it happen, if you can do it in a place where you can see some portion of nature, that's always a benefit. It's awesome if you can do it outside, if you can do it on a porch or near a window where you can just see the world, as you'll see in a minute. It's helpful to be able to, to take that in. What do you do physically when you're meditating? Well, in one sense, it doesn't matter what you're doing physically as far as the position. In another sense, it actually can matter a good bit. The main thing that I would say is don't do it in bed lying down. Because meditating in bed lying down is a good pathway to sleeping. And now some people say, I like to you know, be kneeling or whatever. And that's great. If that works for you, kneel till the cows come home. I get really uncomfortable quickly kneeling, and then that becomes a distraction from what I'm trying to do there. So to me, it works best to just get in a comfortable chair, sitting upright, but just in a position to receive. But you've got to find what works for you. I will tell you this, and, and again, I'm just confessing to you, still a beginner who's just enjoying the foothills of working toward Everest when it comes to hearing from God and doing the work of meditation. Recently, I... Um, I had just one of those little nudges when we were together in a bookstore, and we were just, you know, piddling around looking, and I don't even know why this is in a bookstore, but I came across a um, an hourglass. It's a really cool-looking hourglass about this big. It's really old school that sits in a frame. That you flip it, and um, I really felt a nudge when I saw that. It's not, not like I'm into hourglasses. That I really did sense the Holy Spirit saying, you need to buy that for yourself, I'm like, okay. And and I bought that, and I really felt a strong nudge that that had something to do with my quiet time. So I'm like, okay, I'll do this. And I go home and do it for the first time and find out how many minutes that it lasts. And the first time that I ever did it, really felt like the Holy Spirit said, that's to be your prompt in terms of meditation. Set that on your desk. And for one, let it be a reminder every day that at least that much time needs to be spent in meditation. Now, you may not need this, something like this at all, but for me it's actually been a liberating thing that in my quiet time, I'm consistent to pray and to spend time in the Word, but it's the, it's the meditation part that's always been the biggest challenge for me. And so for me, when I flip that thing over, that becomes a real visible reminder of two things. One, that it sits on my desk as a reminder to go, have you taken that time? Have you taken the time just to be still in the presence of the Lord and listen? But when I flip that thing over, I know that there's a space built into my life where it doesn't matter what's happening on my phone, on my computer, or what's going on in the world. Unless the house is on fire or somebody is bleeding, nothing else will get my attention while the sand is pouring. And my mouth stays shut while the sand pours. I don't pray for anything. I don't, I'm not talking to God. You see, when I'm praying, I run my mouth too much. When the sand is pouring, I keep my mouth shut and I'm just in the presence of the Lord to listen. And that actually makes a difference. It's a good, tangible reminder. So anyway, for what it's worth, that's one of the tools that God's given me in that time. Now having said that, 
I'm not going to take a long time on this, but I want to get real practical in saying just a quick word about four different ways that Christians meditate. This is the how-to part of the message. So four common methods of Christian meditation. But before I go into that, let me just ask, do you have any questions so far about what I've talked about? You tracking with me? Any questions? That's freaking you out that I'm asking, isn't it? I'm supposed to do the talking, you're supposed to do the listening, right? It's okay to ask questions in here. All right. Four common forms of Christian meditation. The first one is the one you expect, and that is meditation on Scripture. This is the central method of meditation, and it helps us to stay centered on the truth. But I want to be real clear. Meditation on the Scripture is not studying the Bible. It absolutely is not. One of the disciplines is Bible study. It's very different from meditation. Meditating on the Scripture is much like what you will do if your spouse or your fiancé or boyfriend or girlfriend writes you or texts you a love note. And you think about what you do with those words. You don't study them, do you? You don't say, what is the etymology of honey pie? What is the real meaning of love you to death? You know, we, we don't study the words. What do we do with those words? We rehearse them. We let them wash over us. We go back and just, we remember them and what that means about our relationship, right? I mean, just nobody has to tell you what to do with words of affection that somebody shares with you, right? I mean, we just, we, we just know how to enjoy that. And we do a real similar thing with the scriptures when we meditate on them. We're not studying them in this time. We're experiencing them. So let me give you an example of how to do that. In fact, I'll give you a couple of different examples. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that wonderful Christian leader who lost his life in World War II because he was willing to go back and, and shepherd his people in a very dangerous time and environment. Bonhoeffer understood and practiced meditation, and he uh, in the seminary that he helped to lead, he had uh, a requirement that all of the students who studied under him must spend 30 minutes a day, every day, in biblical meditation. And because he, he so believed in the importance of this, and his way of teaching them to do it was that you would meditate on one passage or one line of scripture for a week at a time. So you think about it, 30 minutes a day on one line or one verse, and you do the same line or the same verse for seven days. Not seeing how many times you can say it, but really letting it wash over you. For instance, the words of Jesus in John fourteen twenty seven: My peace I give to you. If you take that and for a day or a week, you just meditate on that. You, you don't go back and study the meaning of peace. You let yourself just chew on and begin to experience the reality of Jesus' peace. And the reality of the peace that Jesus lived with. In spite of all the people who hated him and were trying to kill him and, and opposed him. And yet he lived with this incredible peace. And you just begin to let that wash over you and transform you. That was a fundamental way that Bonhoeffer taught his students to, to meditate. Now, another thing that, that you can do that's extremely helpful and instructive is that you take... Maybe not just a line or a verse, but you take a passage, you take a story, and you just let yourself completely enter into that story. You immerse yourself in that story. For instance, in Matthew 8, uh, Jesus and the disciples go to cross over the Sea of Galilee. When they get to the other side, they're going to be two crazy demoniacs meeting them on the other side. These men are just spiritual terrorists. They're frightening. And halfway in between, a terrible storm hits that is about to sink their boat. And these men who are accustomed to being on the water and all, you know, they're in an awful storm that they think is going to end their lives. Jesus is asleep in the boat, and they wake him up, and Jesus calms the storm. You, you know the story if you grew up in church. You don't study that story. You let yourself in meditation fully experience that story. You feel everything that they felt. 
you feel yourself straining against the oars as the wind is picking up. You ever been on the water whenever the wind started picking up against you and you're working against it? You, you taste the salt as that spray of the waves breaking over the bow of the boat or hitting you. You hear the sound of, of the wind and of, of the water being stirred up and beginning to slap against the boat again and again. You feel that, that sort of dizzying feel of, of it's not just a little rocking. The boat's beginning to sway like crazy. You begin to let yourself enter into the fear that the disciples are, are feeling. You let yourself experience all of that. You get into the depth of the storm where it's no longer just, wow, this is kind of a bad storm. You get to the point that the boat is taking on water. Let yourself feel the fear of thinking you're going to die today. And Jesus is in the boat and doesn't seem to care. Do you see how in meditation you experience the scripture in a way that's totally different from analysis? You enter into it. Let yourself land on the far side. Let yourself feel the sheer terror of seeing these demoniacs who cannot be bound by chains, who live naked and in the tombs. Let yourself be greeted by them on the shores. You experience the scriptures in a new way and you hear from God in a fresh way when you do this. That's meditation on scripture. Secondly, the second form is what has been referred to as recollection or centering down. Contemplatives in the Middle Ages called it recollection. Quakers, for a long time, have referred to this form as um, centering down. It's a time to be still and quiet when we allow our fragmented minds to become once again centered on Christ and what really matters and just whole. I'll give you um, an example of what this is like, and we're actually going to practice this in a minute. Um, we've, I've, I've done sort of an abbreviated version of this in worship a couple of times in the past, but one of the simplest ways of, of doing recollection or centering is uh, what's referred to as palms down, palms up. You just get in a comfortable position like what you're in right now, but you just you sort of put your forearms on your legs, on your thighs, and just just start as if, you know, your hands are not tightly closed, but just closed as if you had a handful of pebbles in, in each fist. And what's in your hands is just the cares and distractions and worries of the day. And so you just let yourself, just close your eyes and just let yourself get in touch with what are the things that are stressing you and scattering you in life. And as you get still and do that, you may recognize, well, I'm, I'm stressed because I couldn't find a babysitter for tonight. And I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to find one. And I've got that stupid dentist appointment this week. I hate going to the dentist. And if they find another cavity or if I've got to get a crown or a root canal, that's going to freak me out. And I don't know how I'm going to pay for that, which reminds me of I'm so stressed about our finances and how I'm going to pay the bills. And if I'm really honest, I am so frustrated at Bill because of what he's done and how much he doesn't seem to care. And I would really love to just punch him in the nose. I'm just so aggravated. Over, you know, and you just you let yourself be honest about the cares and the frustrations and the worries and the things that don't feel like they're drawing you near to God. They're pulling you away from God. And as you've just let those sort of crystallize in your mind, then you just do what Peter said in First Peter 5, 7 when he said, Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And so at that point, you don't pray a prayer. You just let them go. Palms down. That's just the, the position of just dropping those cares. That visit to the dentist, paying my bills, finding a babysitter, dealing with this frustrating relationship. I'm just, I'm just letting go of those things, believing that God is able to catch them. And then you just be still and shut up. Just be quiet. Don't pray about it. Just let go and be still in the presence of the Lord. And give yourself some moments of just silence. You may hear God speak in that time. You may not hear anything. Just be still in His presence. And then after a time, simply turn palms up. What does palms up represent? That's simple enough. That's a position to receive, right? And then just let your heart be open to receive. Don't, you don't have to tell God what you need to receive. Just receive. Receive His provision for your needs. Receive His peace in place of your stress and worry about health and relationships and dental visits. Receive His joy 
his peace in place of all your stress and worry and just be still and quiet in his presence. Now, here's a really important thing to recognize. You may or may not experience or hear anything profound while that's going on. It doesn't matter. Because you're in the presence of the Lord and transformation happens in the presence of the Lord. There is a transfer of power that happens in the presence of the Lord and you don't have to hear anything. A transfer of grace and power doesn't even require anything cognitively taking place. We are so mind-oriented in Western culture and in the American church that we think if I didn't learn something, if I didn't hear something, nothing happened wrong Oh, Mary Lou. That is not the truth. You don't have to learn something in order for something profound to have taken place. I'm always cautious about saying this because I know some people just pucker up and get so weirded out when we reference sex. But I mean, think about the most intimate human encounter that ever happens. Is that about learning? Is that about an exchange of information? Nope. And yet, is there a more profound human experience? I mean, something happens at a deep level when we're intimate with another human being. And you can't even adequately describe it, but you're impacted by it, right? You see, that's a, that's a little snapshot of what happens in meditation when we encounter God. So don't worry about whether, you know, what did he say to you? Does it matter in a human intimate encounter what the other person said? No, not so much. Allow yourself to be impacted by that. Don't fret about it. What did I hear? What did I learn? That's recollection. The third one is meditation on creation. Now, let's be clear. This isn't pantheism. This isn't worship of the creation. It's just acknowledgement of the fact that the majestic creator reveals himself through creation. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. So let yourself, sometimes when you meditate, let creation be the way that God speaks to you. I love, I mean, one of my favorites, favorite ways of, of doing creation um, meditation is to draw near to God, looking at the night sky on a really clear night, and just realizing how much the heavens and the stars just revealed the greatness, the creativity, the glory of God. God reveals himself in the big and the small Taking in the mountains, taking in the vastness and the power of the oceans, but taking in little things. You ever just pause to look at a tree and just meditate looking at just a tree? Or better still, one flower or one leaf and really take it in. The incredible detail and symmetry revealing the amazing wisdom. Creativity and thought that's behind every living thing. I mean, just... Listening to the sounds of a songbird singing to the glory of God. You realize God is getting glory when a songbird sings its song. God wrote that song. How incredible to consider. God gave them that ability and he calls forth praise for himself when he allows a songbird to sing. I'm telling you, when you let yourself... I'm not getting weird on you. This is very biblical. When you let yourself just see the smallest inchworm inching along to the glory of God. The mockingbird singing to the glory of God. I'm telling you, there things start to happen. And your heart just wants to break forth in praise. Expect yourself to need to worship when you begin to enter into this. That's meditation through creation. And then the fourth one, this is the surprising one. And that is meditation on the events of our time. You may not often think of this, but we have an obligation to penetrate the events of our day so that we gain prophetic insight into what's going on. Insight that comes from God. It's been a little distressing this past year, a year that's had a lot of events, whether it's terrorism around the world or the Brexit or the election or, you know, whatever. I mean, we, a lot of stuff going on. And it's amazing how much the world and people in the church have sort of sounded like the little red end. Oh, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. What's going to happen? Trump's going to be president. We're all going to die. I mean, it just, do you hear it? And in the middle of all of that, I want to go, could you just be still in the presence of the Lord and let him give you a little insight to realize he is still God and he is at work. The election didn't surprise God. God was in the election. And that's not a Republican or Democratic comment. That's a comment from anybody 
who's paused to consider the events of our time in the presence of the Lord and to realize God is at work. And we have an obligation to take the events of the day before the Lord and say, God, I'm just going to be still in your presence and ask you, would you help me to make sense out of what's going on here in this situation? You'll be surprised how he'll speak and give you prophetic insight as to how he's at work now and how he's been at work historically and what he would have us do in response to that. So there you are, four different ways. Meditation centered on scripture or a time of centering down or using creation or the events of our time as we draw near to God. Now, having said all that, I'm just going to say three uh, simple closing remarks. The first one is this. We don't learn to meditate by reading books or listening to sermons. We learn to meditate by meditating. So don't go find a book on meditation. Just start doing it. And just start experimenting with it. I've given you four ways to experiment with it. Have fun with all of them. We learn to meditate by doing it. Secondly, don't be discouraged, as I've said, if in the beginning your times of meditation seem to mean little to you. Don't go, well, it's broken for me. I've tried it for three days and it's just not working for me. It works for everybody. Just keep it up. And allow, little by little, as you just scale the little bitty foothills, allow yourself to move closer and closer to God. And he'll tackle bigger and bigger hills. It will help if you will think about meditation this way. How many of us in the room are parents? How many parents are here today? Parents or grandparents? Okay, a lot of of parents. Think about this. Do you remember the times at different ages for your kids? It may have been when they were little And they were in the terrible twos and they cried a lot and got in trouble a lot. Or it may have been when they were teenagers and they lost their minds and made you want to kill them at times. But whatever the season is, do you remember all those times when you would slip in there at night after they had gone to sleep? And you'd open the door and decide that you love them again. Because they were asleep and they were lovable again. Remember that wonderful feeling? And do you remember just not wanting to leave? Do you remember that? Oh, I do. I mean, it just it clutches my heart to remember those moments. And it's not because they said anything to you. In fact, it was the opposite. They shut up and, and you just loved them. And you just felt this incredible connection in silence as they slept. Friends, that's not far from what happens in meditation. I can't speak for God on this, but I can only imagine there are sometimes he's going, I just wish you would shut up. I know what you need before you tell me all that. I just wish you'd just hush and let's just enjoy each other. You'll be changed by that and I'll enjoy it immensely. That doesn't mean you shouldn't talk to God. We'll talk about that next week. But just remember what those moments are like and let yourself have some of those moments with God. And then the final thing I'll say is this. Realize this, that the desire to hear God's voice comes from God. That doesn't ever come from you. Your flesh will never crave the voice of God or intimacy with God. The desire for what I'm talking about today only comes from God. Some of you are feeling an intense desire for what I'm talking about today. And honestly, some of you are not. And there's no put down for anybody who's not feeling it. Nobody here on their own is feeling a desire for that. Only God can initiate that. So here's the beginning point. If your heart isn't yearning for what I've been describing today, it's okay. Ask God for that desire. Because he'd love to put it in you. And if it's not in you, you can't muster it up. So there's no guilt or shame if you're not feeling a great desire for what I'm talking about today. Because you can't muster it anyway. So the starting point is to just say, God, I don't feel myself hungry for you and for time alone with you the way the preacher's talking about. And apparently you're the only one who can give me that. So would you start doing that in me? Are you with me? Any questions about that? All right. Why don't we take just a couple of minutes and practice what we just talked about? Would you bow together with me in prayer right now? At home, watching and listening online? There's no disconnect from God because you're not in the room. Would you bow together? And I'm going to invite you to assume the palms down position. Get comfortable. Forearms on your thighs. Why don't you just take a deep breath and just let it go. Just get in a relaxed spot. And just let your heart enjoy the fact that you have a moment to draw near to God.
And I'll ask you to just do what we talked about. For a moment, get in touch with the things that worry you and stress you, that concern you about the week ahead or about relationships or life. What's, what's eating at you? And just let yourself name those things or just get a handle on what those are. That's what's in your hands. What are they? Now, would you just let them go? Would you just open your hands and just let them go into God's hands? And would you just be still and quiet in His presence for a moment? would love to give you some neat things in place of what you just let go of. Would you just turn palms up and would you just open your heart to receive from God what you need right now and just be still in His presence. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you that you constantly pursue us and draw us to yourself. Would you stir up in every one of us a deep hunger and thirst for more of you? And would you help us to be diligent to set aside just a little bit of time, even if it's just four or five minutes a day, to just spend in quietness with you, listening for you, enjoying you. We welcome your work in us. We welcome your word and what you would say to us. And we offer ourselves in a fresh way to you today. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen.